Hello and welcome to Back of the Grid for the hashtag Spanish Grand Prix. Uh, my name is Chris and I'm joined by Tom. Hi, yeah, it's just a little bit Spainy. <laughs> Not full Spain, just Spanish. Yeah, Spanish. It is in Catalonia after all. That's true, it's yeah. Spain-ish. <laughs> <laughs> bit of subtle uh, independence, yeah. <laughs> Uh, continuing our new theme of not all being here every week, uh, Stu is still away, so it's just the two of us this week. Yep, um, and I, I'm severely jet-lagged. Yeah, so this is going to be a great one. <laughs> um, yeah, on that note, many thanks to the guys from Dad's Life for uh, keeping our seats warm last week. It was quite fun listening to an episode on the plane that I hadn't been part of. <laughs> um, but yeah, we are here to talk about a largely uneventful Spanish Grand Prix. Um a couple of big things to talk about, but uh, I think safe to say after the season we've had so far, this was probably the least interesting race we've had. Yeah, it's it's not a track like known for exciting races, really, is no. it? You tend to get a little bit of something that happens, usually while everyone's tightly packed together, and then fairly processional after that. Yeah, um, I mean, I saw a few drivers interviewed after the race saying, well, you can't overtake here, so it's like, well, yeah. that's not a great way to be. Yeah, it's not strictly true either, but I can understand why it's difficult in these cars to overtake around this yeah. circuit. I mean, to give you a stat early doors, there were only 18 overtakes in the whole race, which is wow. the lowest we've had this season by some margin. How many of those were people going past sideways Grosjean? Yeah, that's, well, well, 10 with DRS down the main straight, so I assume the other eight were probably going past <laughs> stricken cars in, in turn three. Yeah. Um, before we get to that, though, there was actually a few things that happened in practice that I think are worth uh, noting. Um, this was, of course, the place where lots of teams brought lots of updates. Um, there were updates up and down the grid, most notably for McLaren, who had a new nose, which was part Red Bull vacuum attachment nose, with also some Force Indian nostrils either side of it, then a sort of Mercedes-style cape, and then just, like, giant turning veins. It's a pretty spectacular thing they've got on the front of that McLaren now. Yeah, it looks, um, it looks like an Aranda goldfish. <laughs> Personally, I think it so. It does, anyway. actually, yeah. Yeah, I know what you it's mean. Like, <laughs> I used to... I used to have a fish that looked almost identical to the <laughs> to the front nose of the McLaren now. Well, there we go. It's the, I was going to say we need to think of a, an animal that it looks like, because we always have an animal that yep. noses on cars, and you've just got one straight away. Um, fancy goldfish. Ferrari was probably... Yeah, fancy goldfish McLaren. Ferrari was probably the other most striking change with their uh, halo mirrors mounted on there. Mm. Definitely not wings, uh, little supports. Um, which have already been banned for the next race. So that's yep. unsurprising. They were clearly seeing how far they could push the rules about them allowing mirrors to be mounted on the halo. Yeah. At Williams, um, we saw Robert Kubica returning for his first uh, official F1 session uh, since his injury in, when was that? 2000 and... Oh, I couldn't tell you off the top something. of my head. It's been a lot of years anyway. Yeah. 
Um, interestingly, he uh, took Sorokin's car, I believe, in free practice one, and he actually was given all of the new parts to evaluate, which doesn't say a lot for how Williams see their feedback from their race drivers, really, does it? For their reserve driver to be assessing the new parts for them. Yeah, um, and I bet that's life were rubbing their hands together because of the the jokes that were being made about Kubica taking the oh, yeah, seat in Barcelona. Stu's uh, <laughs> actual special predictions. Um, I bet they were hoping that that went further than it did. But <laughs> yeah, um, embarrassingly, he was the fastest of the Williams drivers in practice. Um, you could say that's down to the new parts he was assessing. You could say it's down to him just being a faster driver. Who knows? Um, but it was certainly good to see him back in a car anyway yeah definitely um, in I wouldn't say worthwhile maybe the right word but it, it's in a session that's got some value to it compared to just yeah, regular testing mis- and, and stuff like that and filming days it's you know he's testing new parts that are clearly making some form of improvement in the car yeah and you know on one hand it is nice to see most teams have got sort of reserve and third drivers who just turn up every weekend, sit in the garage, yeah, and then don't do anything. So I guess it's nice to see one of them actually out there doing the job. Very true. Um, Red Bull also had some new uh, barge boards, which uh, Ricardo promptly crashed and broke, <laughs> which uh, they didn't seem particularly uh, pleased about. In fact, there were spins and crashes all over the place in practice. It was super windy there all weekend. Um, I think almost everybody had a spin of some description. <laughs> Um, worst yeah, of all was we- Hartley, who had a enormous crash. Yeah, the weather wasn't good all weekend, really, was it? Because there were it times, wasn't really, no. there were times where if it wasn't windy, it was damp and very greasy offline. Um, you saw that yeah. a lot in the support races that people were very wary about going offline for overtakes, <laughs> just because it was yeah, so definitely. very much so very greasy. Unfortunately, Hartley went so far offline he dipped a wheel in the grass, uh, breaking for turn four. Mm. Uh, and went backwards into the wall very hard, actually. He uh, got taken to the medical centre as a precaution, but he was fine. Um, did seem sporting some kind of support tape on his neck before the race on Sunday. Um, but, yeah. yeah, he was fine. Uh, that was I don't know if you saw that shot of them lifting his Toro Rosso uh, out of the gravel, and the whole back section just, like, almost fell off. Yeah, it was... pretty much just fell in half, didn't it, more or less? Yeah. Um, yeah, it wasn't great from him. Uh, on... I don't know how much truth there is to this, but Sky were already talking about rumours of him being replaced by Verline by the Canadian Grand Prix. Um, Interesting. Which is a little premature to me. Um, I mean, it's not like he's a kid coming up and <clears throat> they're trying to assess him. Like, we know Hartley's a good driver. He's a world champion in World Endurance Championship. Like, he's no slouch, but he's definitely um, being outdone by Gasly, I would say, so far. Yeah, there's certain drivers that, as much as I'd like him to to go on and do well, um, some drivers just, I guess, don't suit F1, do they? So maybe it is more of that because no, it's true. Some some do have their preference to to car style and and driving style. Well, I mean, you've only got to look at Formula E to see a list of drivers who didn't make it in F1 and are having massive success in Formula E. Yeah, and as well, drivers that have competed in Le Mans and, yeah, totally. and done well and been successful then aren't necessarily as successful in their Formula One careers when they've had them. So yeah. Um I, I hope I hope he gets given a little more time than to Canada because that's what one race weekend away. 
and yeah, Monaco's Monaco Canada, isn't it? Yeah, Monaco's not exactly a brilliant place to be able to prove anything other than qualifying no. pace, really. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. So. And then the last thing from practice was uh, Magnussen up to his old tricks again. Um, after his antics with Gasly uh, in Azerbaijan, he did a similar thing to the clerk in practice three, I think it was. Yep. Um, just swiping across him and blocking him going down the main straight completely unnecessarily. Yeah. I, I don't even know what he was up to, but it's, you know, after getting a reprimand and I think some penalty points last race out for doing basically that the fact that he's doing it again straight away is just silly really yeah um it's it's very dangerous that these things keep happening at such high speeds um, yeah that's the thing and it's it's like a lack of awareness whilst he's in these high speed straight scenarios. Um, well, you say that, if you watch the replay, he looks in his mirror three times before he swipes across when Leclerc was coming towards him. So he knew exactly what he was doing. Yeah, that's what I don't get about it. It's like, to me, he should have seen him. Um, yeah. So he either doesn't understand how mirrors work <laughs> or, <laughs> or just has no regard for his own and others' safety. But Maybe instead of having their mirrors moved onto the halo, he just needs a whole second set of mirrors on the halo so he can definitely see what's behind him. Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> um, right, should we get on to the race itself? Let's. Um, and the vast majority of the excitement, which happened in turn three, <laughs> um, when Grosjean managed to take out himself, uh, Gasly. I've put Gasly and Grosjean there. Grosjean <laughs> didn't take himself out twice. He also took out Hulkenberg. <laughs> that's, that's correct. <laughs> <clears throat> Yeah, um, his initial spin seemed to be because his teammate Magnussen had a bit of a sort of twitch on the way through turn three in front of him and he had to kind of take some evasive action. Um, but then he just lost it and spun. But the problem then was, once he was in a spin, he decided the best course of action was to just bury the throttle, which of course then spun up the rear wheels, created a cloud of smoke and pushed him back across the track. Yeah. Um it's kind of a miracle it wasn't more than two people that hit him but um there was absolutely nothing gasly or uh hulkenberg could have done um yeah all throughout the race all at once it's um i don't know if you've seen it at all but there's some slightly interesting information from the official stewards report because he's being given a three place grid penalty next race off the back of that incident yeah um, and what I find interesting about it is the um, it's the way that he's tried to defend the the scenario where he said yeah. he said he felt it was inevitable that the car was going to head across the track and he was attempting to keep um, the keep the car moving in the sense of just try and almost power it to the other side of the track is his yeah. reason for keeping his foot in and I don't know I I don't know how legit that is I don't know if that's maybe plausible excuses to to try and cover up something that was quite dangerous and quite silly ultimately I do like this line from the report uh the stewards found that while it is speculation as to where the driver's car would have ended up had he chosen other alternatives, it is certain that while crossing the track in front of the following pack of cars which he chose to do, the collision occurred. Yeah. There is a moment that you can sort of see from the onboard where 
he initially starts washing out and he, he sort of catches it for a minute and it's almost like, yeah. to, to me, from a certain piece of the onboard uh, from his car, it's like he washes out and catches it but then gets his foot down too early and loses it again of his yeah. own accord. And I think it's just one of those scenarios where if he'd been a little more cautious and um, just kept his foot off the gas, that initial yeah, catch totally. would have probably gone through. And yeah, fair enough, it'd have ended up down the back of the pack, but he'd have at least still been in the race, and so would two other cars, and it'd have been a lot less dangerous. Um, yeah, totally. But there does seem a moment where he's trying to counter-steer the washout, and he sort of almost gets the grip back, which is where I think then he starts sticking his foot down and thinking, oh, I've got this back. And then that's where yeah. the the whole donutting across the track starts occurring. Yeah, it's it's just not great, is it, really? No. Um, well, I think we'll have a quick trip to inbox, box, box at this point, because a couple of you wrote in about this. Uh, Barry Weston said... Did Magnussen's Twitter understeer cause Grosjean spin or did Grosjean overreact? Um, and I think you're right, to be honest there, Tom, in that <clears throat> it caused the initial twitch and then it almost looks like he saves it and then gets overexcited and spins all over again. Yeah, I think I think the key the key angle to watch it from to, to be able to sort of see what I'm talking about is is his T bar, the one that's ab- above his head, because he's going round the outside and that twitch of Magnussen in front of him sort of it, it's almost very similar in a, in a in a sense to when Ricardo was behind Verstappen in Baku and Verstappen made that move across him it kind of washes out any downforce that the front wings generating yeah, and it seems that Grosjean gets a little bit of an experience of that as as Magnussen cuts across him and he then manages to hold on to that but then he, he punches it and gets his foot back down and that's where the major spin occurs and I think that's his mistake more than anything which is I guess along the lines of what Barry's are sort of bringing up there yeah, um, Peter Reynolds also said on Grosjean, he's a liability and the penalty's weak. Uh, he could have caused a massive injury, can't see him with a 2019 seat. Um, I do think he's got off a little bit lightly, to be honest with you. Um, yeah, I, they definitely needed to do something about it. Uh, I'm not sure what the next step of penalty would be after three places. Um, yeah. And I'd... I don't think it's... The thing is, with Grosjean, he's obviously got a history of it. Um, remember, That's the thing. If you look at what he did in Spa back in... Whenever that was, 2009 or 10, I think it was. Yeah. Um, he got a race ban for that. And I think if you look at these two incidents side by side, it's clear that the one he got a ban for was far worse. Um... But even so, like only two points, was it two points, three points on his license? Um, Seems a little light to me. Uh, I'm not sure about points on his license. Um, the um, only thing I know of for double. definite is the three-place grid drop. Yeah, he did two points on his license as well as the three-place grid penalty. Ah, uh, fair um, enough. Which feels a little light to me. But... Yeah, I think... It's... It's far less... I don't know, I want to say it's far less dangerous than what he did at Spa, but I guess it's not in the sense that he headed back across the track into the line of, you know, what, 10 cars or more? 
which should just be a something you never even consider but there we go yeah um and the the thing is for me if if the statement from Hassan Grosjean about the fact that they thought that the car travelling across the track was inevitable, I think at that point, most drivers would actually kind of be off everything and bracing to be hit. Yeah, you'd think so. Generally. Um, like, that's kind of a moment where you see a lot of drivers just laying over the wheel because they're like, they know the inevitable's coming. Not yeah punching it and trying to because <laughs> it was almost like he was trying to perform a, a sort of a 180 like what you would do if you'd gone off the track and needed to spin yourself back around to head back yeah, up totally. and it was almost like he was trying to do that as though the field had already gone past him which was just Except they really weird uh, so yeah yeah it it does you have to look at Haas though like Haas are on 19 points in the championship now all of which are from Kevin Magnussen but I mean both of their drivers have just been Australia aside where the team threw the points away every week at least one of their two drivers is throwing away massive points like yeah. they could be they should really be ahead of McLaren and maybe even Renault in the world championship well, right now and they're not they're behind them by in fact they've got like half the points in, lead of those guys in have. theory judging by what we saw in pre-season and early doors in Australia, that car should be sitting as the fourth strongest car, realistically. Yeah, totally. You know, they they should be the guys mopping up as best of the rest, but both drivers seem to be slight liabilities at the minute. Um, yeah. And I think, I think maybe part of this incident has come from the thing in Baku getting in Grosjean's head. I think maybe mm. that's where this has come from, where he's he's had the washout, he's nearly caught it, and then he's sort of thought, I've got I've got to get back on this. I can't I can't be dropping points like like what happened last week. Yeah. And it's just it, all in that split second, he's panicked, and that's where this has come from. But it's still you still can't use that as an excuse for how dangerous it ended up being. No, um, I think I said this in the article on the website about the potential 2019 grid but i i am getting the feeling that we're seeing the beginning of the end of grosjean's career to be honest with you i can see someone else being in that house next year yeah in both seats to be brutally honest potentially both seats. You know, yeah neither of them have been like you say that should be the fourth fastest car and they're nowhere near there yeah. on actual results yeah um he Obviously, he had a bad year last year, and it it was essentially blamed on the brakes. But then this year, he just doesn't seem to have capitalised no. on the changes, and and Magnussen just appears to be getting on everyone's nerves more and more. And I I think yep. the the Magnussen thing will end up being a, a sort of reach a breaking point, like the likes of Maldonado, where people had just had enough and despite yeah. Maldonado bringing money to the sport, teams just didn't want to know because it was constantly putting it in the side of other cars on the wall. Yeah. Um, I think we'll see a race ban for one of those two at some point this season. It's looking hella likely. No one else is picking up penalty points as fast as those I two I guess are. the question would be is who would be looking at coming in and sitting in those seats but I guess with the Ferrari connections you'd maybe expect 
Ferrari to try and fill one of them. Maybe move. Maybe throw Giovinazzi in or something. Or, or move Leclerc up from Sauber to there Possibly, and yeah. stick Giovinazzi in the Sauber. Because um, they. That's exactly what I put down for 2019. To be honest, I can see that definitely. Happening. Yeah, they've got other young drivers. Um, in lower formulas as well that you know if they manage to somehow yeah. swing it in two seats or even three seats on the grid in other teams they've got quite a few drivers yeah, um like this Fuoco who was um Leclerc's teammate last year and is still in yep. formula 2 you've got Leclerc who's obviously in the um Sauber at the minute there's Alessi's son who's in GP3 at the minute. Yep, Paddy's first win over the weekend, actually. Yep. Um, uh, there's Callum Illett as well. He's in GP3. He's in the Ferrari Young Driver programme. And there's the young Enzo Fittipaldi who's in an Italian series. I want to say F4 or their F3, something like that. So the, the, something like the, that, yeah. There's a number of people that could potentially start working their way up. Um, especially the guys like Fuoco in F2 and Alessi and Illa in GP3 because they're, they're like prime candidates to look at moving up. Yeah, totally. So, um, Plus, the Haas is so similar to the Ferrari these days with yeah. Leclerc very much being the potential future Ferrari driver. Like, sticking him in the Haas is basically like a, a dress rehearsal for like a 2020 or 2021 driver. Exactly. You're sort of going in the Sauber's like, can you can you survive in F1? Going to yeah. the Haas in theory should be, can you drive a Ferrari-style car? And then <laughs> being in the Ferrari is the ultimate end product. <laughs> yeah. So. Um, speaking of Ferrari, I guess we should talk about what was going on at the front of the race. Yeah. <laughs> um, so Vettel took second off the line. Um, I enjoyed Hamilton after the race when he was watching the uh, the replay of the star. He said to Bottas... Uh, maybe I should have like gone over to the side to give you a bit of a slipstream to stop Vettel came past you, <laughs> which I enjoyed. Such was the confidence of Hamilton yeah. this weekend. Um, so yeah, Vettel's first pit and Bottas covered him, but he had a slow stop. Otherwise, we'd have seen Bottas take the lead there. Like the Mercedes pace already was starting to show yeah. there. Um, There's a nice little moment when, as Bottas was leaving the pits, Vettel was like slipstreaming Magnussen down the main straight and had to sort of thread the needle between the two of them into turn one which was quite nice um, we then lost the other Ferrari uh, Kimi retired with um, he just said a loss of power I've not seen them say exactly what happened yet but that is a concern for Ferrari given that they replaced Kimi's whole power unit after an issue in FP2 so that engine's only survived FP3 qualifying and the first few laps of the race which is yeah. a concern for them yeah again he was looking quite good uh, he was pretty much on the pace again he's having this is probably Raikkonen's best season in a while in terms of his pace and worst in a very long time in terms of his uh, sort of reliability and look yeah in fact I saw I think someone said he's only been on the podium or DNF this season it's like one extreme or the other for Kimmy yeah it's I guess it's a shame in a sense as well that when he's finding the little form, the car's not with him. It is really. Uh, I guess maybe as a professional F1 driver at the the top end of the grid, you should be <laughs> on that form more often than not. But may, maybe he's yeah. just not suited his driving style in recent years. There, were, there was a lot of 
that sort of speculation that it was designed more around Vettel initially, wasn't there? And oh, absolutely, it didn't yeah. suit him. And maybe there's a balance where this car's coming back more towards Kimmy's style. But yeah. um, it is a shame that he is suffering with the reliability when he when he is clearly more on form than he's been in recent yeah, years. Definitely. It's a it's a rough time to be a Finnish F1 fan, really, because in slightly different circumstances, you'd have Finnish drivers one and two in the championship right now. Yeah, and it doesn't help that those two drivers are behind two multi-world champions exactly, yeah. in the team. Um, because as much as those teams, um, well, Mercedes at least anyway, will we'll say that you know they've not got a team order preference, I think ultimately if you you know put them against something and said you need you pick a driver they would side with hamilton i think ultimately yeah, totally. um oh yeah of course and i think you do occasionally see that at times as much as they give bottas uh, as much freedom as they possibly can i think that the team's always slightly edged more in hamilton's favor where possible if push came to shove yeah, yeah. Um, and at that point, it was all looking fairly processional. In fact, I tweeted a picture of uh, the uh, the gaps between the cars, and almost every gap was either one and a half or two seconds, which is yeah. just <laughs> classic uh, Barcelona. Um, we then had the virtual safety car when Ocon retired, which looked like it might help spice things up a little bit. Um, Hamilton and Vettel were the only ones of the front runners that uh, actually pitted. Um, and Vettel had a slightly slow stop, I think partially through them having to having a, a dodgy rear wheel, I think, going on, but also they had to wait to let one of the Force Indias by. Um, yeah, it was something like 5.6 seconds, that stop. Something for, similar to that, yeah. Ari, which is obviously a lot longer than you'd like to be. Yeah. Um, and I think it ultimately gave away some track position, that, didn't it? Yeah, it put him behind Bottas and Verstappen because um, the Red Bulls had done a really long first stint yeah. and one stops it. Um, initially it just looked like Ferrari had made yet another really poor strategy call but it turns out they were actually pretty concerned about the state of their tyres at that point um, obviously uh, Vettel was the first <clears throat> first person of the front runners to pit um, I think they were hoping for a one stopper but it was always going to be quite marginal um, and Mercedes actually said they pitted Hamilton for similar reasons um, Yeah, they were both quite worried about tyre wear and uh, Hamilton said that the <clears throat> cooler temperatures definitely played a big part in them being so dominant because um, Mercedes were much better on their tyres than Ferrari this weekend, which has not been the pattern we've had so far this yeah, season. Yeah, I'm, I'm interested to see how this now evolves over the season because it looked like Mercedes had maybe managed to put their finger on what's caused them some issues in the earlier races this season. However, Monaco coming up is probably not going to be a strong track for them. So it's going to be difficult to see if they really have got to, started to get to the bottom of things because I'd seriously expect maybe even the Red Bulls to to look strong in Monaco. Um, yeah. Because traditionally when they were on top, it was a very good track for them. And they're not that far behind Ferrari and Mercedes realistically this season so no. I can see the Red Bulls being fairly strong in Monaco uh, as long as they, as long as yeah, they keep they everything be. together so it's not going to be until maybe Canada when we can see if 
Mercedes actually have got to the bottom of things that had them behind Ferrari, but then that's uh, quite a Hamilton track again. So it's true. It's trying to find a track where the variables are not really weighed in anyone's <laughs> favour to see where everything plays out. <laughs> there, well, there was another variable this weekend as well because um, Pirelli brought a slightly different uh, version of their tyres as well. Um, after in the testing in Barcelona, the new track surface was causing quite a lot of blistering. They um, brought tyres this weekend that had a... It was a 0.4 millimeter reduction in uh, tread depth on the tires, yeah. which obviously is not a huge amount, but uh, it obviously makes a difference. And um, they're also going to use those tires at the French and British Grand Prix. And Ferrari weren't too pleased about that. Um, it sort of seems to negate the advantage they've had on tires uh, previously this season. Yeah. Yeah. So hard to know exactly how much of a factor that played. Um, though I did see talk of um because there's testing in barcelona this week uh did you see talk of pirelli potentially giving uh cars like unmarked sets of both kinds of tires <clears throat> to sort of judge exactly how much of a difference these new ones made um yeah not that i think we'll actually hear the results of that but there we go so yeah that was that was about it really wasn't it vettel never really got close enough uh to verstappen to have a proper go overtaking um, so we finished with the Mercedes 1-2 uh, and Verstappen's first podium of the year um, he still had time to do something stupid <laughs> uh, running into the back of one of the Williams just as the uh, virtual safety car was ending I nearly um, sang a song about that then it's like, and then he goes <laughs> and spoils it all <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah he just seemed a bit too keen to get going again didn't yeah. he uh, was, he was lucky not to cause more damage really he lost a uh, front wing end plate and then carried on pounding around just as quickly which again you have to wonder what these fancy end plates he, are doing when they go around just as quickly yeah he never actually changed it did he they just left it in the end no it, it fell off about a few corners later um, one of the four Indies ran over it and shattered it and somehow didn't pick up a yeah, bunch yeah it'll have been Perez at that point won't it um, yeah it must have been of course but yeah it was the, the, the force India was quite lucky to not Pick every uh, pick anything up from that because um, I can't remember who it was. I think it was um, Leclerc and Vettel managed to dodge it, and uh, mm-hmm. Perez was unsighted by it because he was chasing Leclerc at the time. Yeah, and Leclerc it. obviously swung around it, and Perez unsighted just drove straight over the thing. Um, so yeah, quite lucky not to pick up a puncture or anything from that. Yeah. Um, a few other things of note uh, we had Van Dorn retiring towards the end uh, lost drive from his mm. Renault engine which is actually McLaren's first retirement of the season which um, impressive makes a change <laughs> from their previous <laughs> I don't know if impressive is the right word but that's why I said it with like an inflection yeah <laughs> <But> <laughs> in a way based on the last few seasons from McLaren improvement yes, but <laughs> maybe a better one definitely improvement <laughs> It wasn't the TV feed, but Ricardo had a little spin all his own <laughs> under the uh, virtual safety car. I've seen that pin. since. I don't know if you've actually seen it or not. I have, yeah. He yeah. sort of ended up sort of half on the rallycross circuit and had to find yeah. his way back onto the F1 circuit. Um, it was a pretty middling race for him, really, wasn't it? He was In the end, he was like over 20 seconds behind Verstappen. Um, he did manage to get fastest lap again, but it seemed like he could go quickly for a lap or two and then several laps to sort of cool everything down again and basically that for the whole race yeah 
Um, I do like that him and Bottas have taken it in turns getting fastest lap this year. Um, they've just been alternating for every race which one of the two of them gets the fastest lap, <laughs> which is which is nice. Uh, Alonso in the points yet again. It's still only him, Hamilton and Vettel who've scored um, in every single race. Uh, he had a really good race again, actually. Arguably, in most people's opinion, the best three drivers on the grid as well. Yep. Like, the, um, the, those are the three names that people will usually throw into the argument as the best driver on the grid so it's interesting to see that those are the three names still left in that little pot and it is notable if you watch that turn three incident on the first lap you had a few people just like going into the smoke and hoping for the best a few people diving onto the grass at the inside and sliding around and Alonso just quite calmly went off the track and drove around the outside of all of it it's like yeah that's that's the experience that however many years of f1 gives you know what i love about Alonso at that track is the way that he utilizes turns one two and three and i don't know if this ever got picked up during the coverage on different tv channels and stuff but if you ever watch fernando alonso following somebody or or even in the pack early in the race um going into turns one two three the way that he takes the line in two is almost compromising himself into itself but it swings him for an absolutely awesome drive round the outside in three. Yeah. And if you actually look back at both this race and previous races, even back in sort of Ferrari days and earlier than that, if you actually watch Fernando Alonso overtakes at Barcelona, that is that is his like move. That's what he does, and that's kind of almost why he avoided the crash because he'd set yeah, himself totally. up for that huge drive, full power around the outside, and it put him in the perfect position to avoid Grosjean. So partly skill and partly luck, but it, yeah, it's totally. it's just an awesome line, and I implore anyone that's interested now to go. Just have a look at old race highlight, highlights from any Spanish Grand Prix where the Alonso has been in. You'll probably see him do that. Yeah, um, and we'll, we'll get on to that with Move of the Day in a little bit, actually, I think. Yeah. Um, Clerk comes home in 10th for back-to-back points finishes. Uh, this is the first time Sauber have scored points in back-to-back races since Felipe Nasr did it in 2015. Wow. Um, yes, it's nice to see Sauber back on the up. Uh, yet another just really impressive drive from uh, Leclerc. Um, him and Alonso battling for a good number of laps and it was only really the uh, virtual safety car restart that let Alonso finally get past um, and I don't know if you saw him being interviewed after the race but he seemed to be like really buzzing after the, f- the fact that he'd like been having a battle with Alonso like he really seemed to enjoy himself yeah. which I, I really appreciate um, <clears throat> he just seems so cool and collected and he's quite self-critical and he's got a very mature head on young shoulders that guy yeah um i I was worried at first when he didn't seem to be living up to the expectations a lot of us had of him coming out of Mm. gp3 and f2 the way that he did however since him identifying what he needs to change to drive the F1 car to a better end result. You've noticed that in these last two races. And he said himself that he's had to change the way he 
drives and handles the car in order to get the most out of it but that is another sign of that maturity that you're speaking of where yeah it's, totally. it's him not not coming out and blaming this that and the other it's him assessing what he's doing and what he could potentially do differently to get the most out of the equipment that he's been given and i think the last couple of results for him have probably sort of gone towards showing that so it's it is good to see and hopefully by the end of the year he can be you know looking like the potential future star that we, we we thought he would be coming out of gp3 and f2 yep definitely um Lance Stroll actually had another impressive quietly impressive race. Um he finished just outside the points. Uh he reckoned another lap or two and he could have taken that 10th place. Um especially when you consider his teammate had to make one more stop with everyone else because the tires were just destroyed, finished 3 laps down. Um do, probably 11th is more than that Williams should be doing right now. So quietly impressive um from Stroll. Uh, yeah. Unfortunately, his weekend's going to be remembered for crashing on Friday and Saturday. <laughs> he had a pretty bad lead up to the race. Um, apparently, when he, he crashed in qualifying, um, it was because he basically kept his foot, foot planted while he was understeering wide and just kind of kept understeering. Um, I like that Martin Brundle said that's a place he's not seen an F1 car crash since 1991. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and then for good measure he nearly got run over by the uh, tractor that had come to recover his car Um, so that was embarrassing all around really yeah Um, and we've already sort of had a go in once his podcast but uh, Magnussen did have a really strong race to come home in that best of the rest where you'd expect there has to be Um, he basically spent the whole race all on his own Um, he had the Red Bulls a distance down the road ahead of him and then everyone else a distance behind him so he just drove around on his own for maybe that's the reason he he managed to that's it to yeah pull off a, an okay position because there was nobody else around him if they can just engineer the pit stops to bring him out in just completely <laughs> clean airs no one near him and i'll bring you home every time um and that is about it for a f- all in all uneventful race i think other than that first lap incident yeah um, should we talk driver of the day? Yeah, I guess it's working out who who it should go to. Um, Hamilton was strong all weekend, really. So yeah, he was. As much as it's an obvious choice, I think he needs to be a good candidate for it. But yeah, absolutely. We've talked about sort of Leclerc getting his th- things in order and starting to perform. Yeah. Um, Maybe not to Magnussen for, like I say, that best of the rest spot, which we always like. Magnussen um, for not being the Haas that caused all the trouble. <laughs> yeah. Um, I also want to mention Alonso for, I don't know if you saw this on Twitter, but um, there was a shot during qualifying of the kid in uh, all dressed in McLaren and Alonso garb cheering away. So Alonso tweeted at F1 saying, any chance we can get this kid in the paddock tomorrow? And the people from F1 actually went out and found him and brought him into the paddock and he got to go and meet Alonso and sort of have some photos with him and get a cap off him and stuff, which is quite So nice. basically, it's turning into a, a Spanish GP tradition. Because yes, it was someone... it was Spain last time where little Tomas was crying because Raikkonen went out in the first corner. Yep. And then went back. He was there and... again this weekend. Actually, was he? No, I didn't notice. Yeah, he was. He was. Um, I think that took him out into the Ferrari garage again to say hello <laughs> for another year. Yeah, he went and got an ice cream with uh, Kimmy last year, <laughs> didn't he? So, 
Yep. Why Why did nobody think of this when the Mercedes came to get... See, this is what I mean. This is where it's turned into know, a right? tradition. So lap one, two years ago, the two Mercedes come together. Then it becomes a processional race that Max eventually wins. Last year, the three came together in turn one, which was Bottas... I want to say Max and Kimi, or it was yeah, one of the was. Red Bulls anyway. So those three came together, and then then it became a bit processional after that. Then this year, Grosjean wipes out a few cars, and then it, again it becomes processional. <laughs> so it's like by, basically by turn four, your incidents happened, and then you can just, I guess, check the website for the results after that. Yeah, <laughs> that's how Spain find works. A kid to and go then find a kid into the paddock. Yeah. <laughs> um, so after all that, it's. It's probably Hamilton, I, isn't it? I yeah. Mean, he was as much as it's an obvious choice, the, I think the word unbeatable definitely comes to mind. Like He, he was on top form this weekend. Hamilton it is. Mm-hmm. Um, move of the day. Um, you've already sort of alluded to the one, which is Alonso going around the outside of uh, Ocon on turn three after the um, safety car restart. Yeah, it's, it's his thing, and it is quite impressive to watch. Um, I can't really think of many other good moves that weren't like heavily DRS assisted or anything like that the only other one I could think of was when Alonso finally got past uh, Leclerc after they sort of battled for several laps and then he finally got past just after that yeah. DSC restart and they sort of went side by side through turn one and two it was nice to see um, Leclerc putting up a, a good fight against him but uh, didn't quite pay off in the yeah. end but other than that, I'm struggling to think of anything. I, for, for me, I think it's the outside of turn three thing, just because of yeah, me just too. because of if you watch it, it's a technique that he nails all the time. It's yeah. a bit like when you watch Danny Rick on a lunge from late breaking um, down yeah, the inside of someone. It's that like that is one of Alonso's things, like that yeah. um, compromising a, a, a traditional line to get a slingshot and he, he does it so well I've seen him do it at Monza thinking about it because there's a there's a very similar opening section at Monza where you've got the chicane and then um, yeah, the, the, the long right hander and he's done the same thing there I remember um, a couple of years ago where I'm sure it was him that was like out on the grass two wheels on the grass and Vettel's done the same thing there as well so mm-hmm. It's um, it's quite a talent. So I, I think for me, it's that personally. Yeah, totally. Uh, so all in agreement still. Yeah. How about our favourite feature? Honestly, what the f- are we doing here? Um, definitely want to give a shout out to whoever painted hashtag Spanish Grand Prix in the pit lane. Yep, it's not quite um, Spain; it's Spanish. <laughs> I very much enjoyed that. Once people noticed that, everybody on Twitter just ignored the official hashtag and started using Spanish instead. <laughs> I think in order to get our tweets noticed this week, we're, we're probably going to have to use Spanish as well, just to be safe. Yeah, throw both in there just to be <laughs> yeah. safe. Um, they did paint over it eventually, which was a shame. <laughs> um, I mean, it's Grosjean, though, isn't it? Uh, yeah, I think it's got to be. It's I just clearly Grosjean. Other than the comical Spanish incident. Um, bearing in mind, that's the second time something like this has happened this season already because um, they spelt Hartley's name wrong the other yep. week, um, for which Gasly was giving him a ribbon. <laughs> if anybody's not seen that, it's quite funny. Um, so whoever they get to paint those little strips in the pit lane might want to consider buying a yeah. dictionary or something. 
Um, yeah, it's it's. Gro- I think not for the first time this season. It's got to be Grosjean, hasn't it? Yeah. Did we give it him for the incident at Baku? I think he might have had it last week as well. I probably wanted to give it to him for Baku. I think, I think in the end we said the Red Bull crash. At least it was while they were racing, whereas Grosjean just stuck it in the wall all yeah, on his own, and he ruined he ruined my fantasy thing again. Because not oh. only did he take himself out, he took out took one of my other fantasy drivers Same in Hulkenberg. He's livid. He's, I've dropped him so he, hard for the next race. Yeah, he's gone. He's gone out of my fantasy team. Yep, he's gone. I think I think for Leclerc instead. Not um, a bad shout. He's scoring big points at the moment. Yeah. Um, I've got a couple of newsy bits, but should we do predictions first while we're still on the Spanish Grand Prix? Yeah, let's, let's stay on point, I guess. So... For um, predictions this week, we actually got almost a clean sweep. It's very close. Very, the closest we ever had. It is very close. I think the only thing closer that we've had is the Dats Life Boys one scored 4.5, I believe, yes. last season. Um, but this one's almost closer because there's two half points in there. Yeah, so um, one Michael Bachelor managed to score a rounded four, but actually scored points in each section. So he correctly predicted the fastest qualifier and the winner in Lewis Hamilton for both. Um, he also correctly predicted Bottas finishing second. And then uh, when it came to the number of finishes, nobody said 14, and he was... closest alongside Craig Mitchell who both said 15 so they both got a half point there for being closest and then there were a number of people who um, went with Pierre Gasly for first DNF because officially according to the classifications Hulkenberg was actually first DNF now I was initially going to give this to anyone that said Grosjean but on the official listings it's actually Hulkenberg Gasly, Grosjean is the order of the retirements. Um, so it's Gasly that's scoring the half points this week. And Michael Batchelor was one of those people. Um, Jacob Aparta scored a half point. Eric Richardson did. And Speedy McSpeedface, whoever you may be, scored half a point. <laughs> oh, and uh, Raymond Tata, or Tata. Hope I'm pronouncing that right. Um, so you guys all score half a point because of the way that the official listings work. Um, if you uh, have any queries as to why they retired in that order, uh, write into Formula One because yeah. we have no idea how they we figure will, it out. But there we go. One thing I guess it is worth clarifying on that, we will always use the official FormulaOne.com yes. <laughs> listings of the results for things like this. Um, so it's a little like the we number of finishes. should try and find out how they work that out. Well, I was always under the impression it was whoever made it furthest round the track, but in an incident like that, I'm sure that Hulkenberg and Gasly both got further than Grosjean, so... Yeah, definitely. I don't know why he's not the first one, but... There we go. Blame blame FOM, guys, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) If you have any issues, take it up with them. Um, But that... A very high scoring round for uh, Michael Batchelor has actually, in the standings, brought him to joint first um, and taking him to nine points total. So he's now joint first with Tom Austin Morgan. Um, And then um, we've got a three-way fight for the next spots between Dominic Poole, Henrik Lindhoff and Jake Petroski, who are all on eight points. Um, I don't think we fared very well, did we, Chris, in all honesty? We didn't do 
brilliantly. Unfortunately, Stu actually submitted real predictions and didn't use the ones that Das Life provided for him, which is unfortunate. Ugh. Meaning he actually scored a point for predicting Bottas was second. But me and you got absolutely zip. The the really sad thing is that the the predictions they came up with for Stu almost got closer to scoring points than our real ones <laughs> yes. did. Like, because I see 11 for number of finishes, didn't they? Yeah. Um, I was really surprised how many DNFs we had, but then Grosjean saw to that happening. <laughs> yeah. So, and thanks, Grosjean. Yeah. But there you go. Um, so, if you are interested in getting in touch with us about Prediction League, just head to the website at backofthegrid.com where you can register now and then you are all set up and ready to join in with Monaco from next week when we do the Monaco preview. Um, it's never yep. too late to join in because. As I'm sure some will prove, like Michael Bachelor scored four points this weekend and propelled himself to joint top. Um, and if anyone does ever achieve that clean sweep and the magical five points by getting everything exactly correct, there is a prize to be won. So even if you are starting six races into the season, you always have a shot at that every single week if you are yep. absolutely spot on with everything. Um, a couple of quick newsy things to finish. Uh, the Halo might have saved its first life, um, at least according to uh, Tadasuke Makino, who is the Formula 2 driver who uh, had another car basically land on top of his cockpit over the weekend yeah. um, in the F2 sprint race going to turn four. Um, Arden driver um, Neri Fukuzimi. Um, it's, it's kind of hard to see exactly what happened because there's not a great camera shot, but he basically seemed to just steam up the inside way too hot um, it was into turn three wasn't it um uh yes well out of three into four oh i can't it remember. was it was one, either three or the... four i can't quite remember but um it's it's around that area and it's one of those sort of scenarios where they get a little too close to each other and the contact of the two wheels sort of front to back propels one car up over the other essentially because um, the the, yeah. back, the two back wheels come together and it sort of propels the car on the inside kind of up over the top yep. of the other car and the rubber trail left along the car just shows where that would have probably ended up were it not for the halo yeah I mean you can never say for certain but there's a very good chance that the wheel could have uh, clipped his helmet. Yeah. Um, I mean, the it, the car also had the T-bar sheared off the top of it, and that's a pretty strong piece of the car because yeah. that's what they move them around on. So it just shows sort of the the energy in that impact. Um, yeah, so it, I guess it shows that the Halo does the job it's designed to do. Yeah. Um, I'd be interested, actually, if a lot of the tests that they did before implementing the Halo um, in terms of taking real scenarios and seeing how the Halo would have impacted the outcome. Yeah. I'd be interested to see if they can replicate that in some way to see how much of a, a an effect the Halo did have there. Um, but I, I think looking at the damage of the car, you can see that there is every chance that that could have turned out a lot worse. Um, getting a wheel spinning at 200 miles an hour in your face is not going to be a pleasant experience, no. is it? So, yeah. Good to, 
see him climb out the car at least exactly um and then finally as we mentioned earlier we've got uh the f1 test in barcelona this week uh, and we have the full <clears throat> list of drivers now uh the sort of headline one being um jake dennis who is a formula three uh, sorry ex formula three and gp3 driver who's currently racing in gt but he's also uh does some red bull uh, simulator work uh, and he's going to be testing for red bull um sort of come out of nowhere they say it's um good mm. to sort of provide correlation between sim work and on track work hard not to feel like this is also red bull assessing their future options because as we've alluded to before if ricardo does decide to leave they don't have a ton of options to sort of move people around um they'd probably try and get signs back from Renault, I would assume. Yeah. If that didn't work, they'd probably promote Gasly, but then their sort of young driver stable is not really there right now to move people into Toro Rosso. So definitely feels like they're assessing him for maybe a future driver at Toro Rosso, who knows. Yeah, I can't remember um who he was with in the past if he was or if he was with anyone at all. Um I can remember him doing okay in gp3 a couple of years ago and then yeah he sort of seemed to disappear from my radar but i think he ended up in things like uh bland chapan and lmp That's what and now, stuff think, like yeah. that like he seemed to go down a more sports car gt route um so whether he maybe got a bit of a like sort of bit by the bug of that area of motorsport or something or just it wasn't getting up and wheel seats i'm not sure but uh, his his most recent open wheel stuff was in 2015 he was third in euro f3 then 2016 he was fourth in gp3 yeah exactly and i don't remember him doing anything else since then really other than no he's been gt since then yeah gt and stuff like that so but it wasn't actually where he was a red bull simulator guy so there we go yeah neither was i to be honest uh like i say i sort of thought he just disappeared out of it it's only when i've when this news has come up that i've gone and looked him up and realized he was in blanche Japan, if i'm perfectly yeah. honest um as the teams mercedes using their race drivers ferrari using vettel and giovinazzi um who is doing double work driving for ferrari on wednesday and uh, sauber on tuesday uh leclerc's doing the other stuff for sauber Force India are using George Russell, uh, Nicholas Latifi, and uh, Nikita Mazapan, all uh, current F2 drivers. Mm. Uh, Williams are using their young driver, in quotation marks, Ollie Rowland and uh, Robert Kubica. Uh, Signs and Jack Aitken, who won his first F2 race over the weekend uh, for Renault. Uh, Torosso, Gasly, and Sean Galeal, another uh, F2 up-and-coming guy. Haas using their race drivers. And then McLaren are having a combination of Van Dorn, Lando Norris, and Oliver Turvey in sort of random intervals across the two days. Uh, interesting. Um, don't know if we'll get much out of testing. Um, with this these mid-season tests, you never really hear all that much. Um, but we shall see. Yeah. And I think that probably does us for this week, doesn't it? I think so. Um, we've somehow managed to make a not that eventful race last the standard duration which yes pleases me we have monaco up next which could go either yeah. way <laughs> um the preview episode is next i guess which is next week yep where well, we'll preview monaco make our predictions then 
uh, that I think that is going to be the first week for a while when all three of us are here uh, before I disappear and miss the Monaco review. Yeah. I, I'm, I can't quite remember how it all falls, but I'm pretty sure that next week and the week after, I'm the only one consistently here. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure by Canada, we're all back again. It'll all be yeah. back to normal. Um, if you want to get in touch with us, uh, you can find us on Twitter at Back of the Grid F1. We are on Facebook and Instagram. If you just search Back of the Grid, you'll find us. Uh, the website is backofthegrid.com where you can see everything to do with the Predictions League. Uh, if you want to find me, I'm at TNM Chris and Tom is at TomKing89. And if you want to find Stu, he's in Bali. <laughs> um, and that will do us for this week. So thank you very much for joining us and we'll see you next week. Bye, everyone. Bye. This podcast is part of Britpod Scene, an independent network of uniquely British podcasts that's always growing. Check out BritpodScene.com or BritpodScene on Twitter to find out more. Oh.